episode of the Mentality Podcast, a project of Youth for Mental Health. My name is Angel and I'll be your host for today. Here with me is Dr. Judy Shu, a primary care doctor who happens to be my mom. How are you, Dr. Shu? I'm doing great. Thank you, Angel. So glad to be here. Yeah. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Just a brief introduction. Sure. So I was born and raised in Taiwan, came to the United States at the age of 12. Subsequently, I went to UC Berkeley for undergraduate degree, followed by UCLA for medical school. And there I chose internal medicine as my specialty for residency. So I finished that and started working at Northeast Medical Services in San Francisco. And I've been doing that for the past 22 years. Wow. Yeah, it's certainly, certainly a very long time. Um, what would you say your, um, your population is? Who do you uh, mainly serve in your job? Well, being in San Francisco, there is a large Chinese population. So I would say 98% of my patients are from Chinese descent. And most of them speak either Cantonese Chinese or Mandarin Chinese. So I'm bilingual in both. And we see a lot of immigrants or a lot of seniors. So that's kind of the patient population that I serve. Wow. So I think our audience would be, you know, very curious. Amongst all of your patients, you mentioned the Chinese-American population, the immigrant population in San Francisco. Um, After COVID started, did you see um, an influx, an increase of patients who need help with um, their mental health? Um, You know, any mental illnesses that popped up? Has there been an increase in any of that? Oh, of course, of course. I think amongst my population of patients, the seniors are the most affected. Because you can imagine, they're very vulnerable. Mm. They were lonely to start with. And now, with a pandemic, they're afraid to venture out even to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. fearing that they may catch the virus. Mm -hmm. So their children end up buying groceries, drop them off outside of their front door, but Mm -hmm. not go in because these children need to work. They may be exposed and they don't want to carry the virus to their elderly parents. So as you can see, all of a sudden, they lose all those wonderful times at dim sum with their grandchildren, and they lose these kind of neighborhood talks at the grocery store. And they're home watching TV, listening about pandemic news, how many cases in San Francisco, Mm. and so on and so forth, day in and day out. So they're scared. Even though they have not stepped out of their home, but they're scared. Yeah, so you see a lot more of, uh, a lot more fear, a lot more isolation, uh, particularly among the the seniors that you serve. Yes, definitely. Got it. Definitely. And seniors are not the only population that are affected. Even the working population are. Mm -hmm. For example, um, because standards are different amongst different age groups or different races in the city, some do not wear masks. And so if that were the case, uh, even the working um, generation, they're very afraid of catching the virus from Mm -hmm. work and then bring Mm -hmm. it home. Right. Yeah. So you do a lot of uh, great work in the community by serving um, 
serving your patients, their families. Um, I'm sure the city of San Francisco is very lucky to have you. Um, I understand that you also recently completed a, a Train New Trainers Primary Care Psychiatry Fellowship training.、Mm-hmm. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, sure. So basically, it's a one year fellowship where、mm-hmm. primary care doctors go through training with psychiatrists associated with UC Irvine or UC Davis. So, we go through、uh, regular lectures and discussion groups and mentorship sessions. The focus is to empower the frontline、uh, providers, the primary care doctors,、mm-hmm. to be able to diagnose, counsel, and treat patients with mental issues.、Mm. And you mentioned frontline. For me, when I think of frontline workers, I think of you know, first aid, I think of firefighters. You know, what makes these. What makes primary care doctors the frontline workers in this case? Sure. So you can imagine if there is an emergency, you would call 911.、Mm-hmm. So there would be the fire trucks, the fire, firefighters coming in. But if you feel sad or you feel like you don't want to kind of work or go out to the, to, to,、uh, the outside or socialize,、um, these things are not at that level of acuity as to require 911 service.、Mm-hmm. But your family members or your,、um, your, your children may. Urge you to go see your doctor. Talk to your doctor about this. Something's wrong.、Mm. Something's wrong. So, in other words, we end up being the first stop where、um, patients with mental issues may be anxiety or depression or just sadness、mm. that they would go to see first. Got it. And so, what is some of the training that you receive at this program? Well, so we particularly focus on the common issues.、Mm-hmm. For example, depression, anxiety. And of course, we learn、um, counseling techniques. It turned out that there's a lot to,、uh, to learn about how to ask questions, how、mm. to listen, and of course,、um, a pharma, uh, pharmacology of the various medications, interactions,、mm. how to increase the dose, how to switch in between the medications. So there's a lot to learn.、Mm. Yeah, and absolutely. You mentioned that, once again, going back to、uh, kind of the, the idea that primary care doctors. Become the front line for mental, mental health care.、Um, and particularly since you serve the Asian American, the Chinese American population in San Francisco, how would you say that you know, the Chinese culture, the stigma around mental health that still surrounds, you know, especially the elders, you know, how would you say that impacts、um, people reaching out for help and pe- people looking for you know, support? Yeah, very good question. And the Chinese population in particular don't feel comfortable talking about their private issues with a counselor.、Mm-hmm. May it be a professional counselor or a licensed clinical social worker whom they have not met before.、Mm-hmm. So that places me in a very precious position of being accessible to their inner worlds.、Mm-hmm. After all, I've been treating them for years and maybe over 10 years.、Right. So I almost become a member of their family. So they don't feel pressured to disclose. Their family secrets or kind of the dark side、mm-hmm. um, to their lives, to me.、Mm-hmm. And you're able to achieve this you know, intimacy and this trust amongst your patients by utilizing, I'm assuming,、um, this active listening, this very open, clear communication channels.、Um, how would you describe、um, the methods that you employ to make sure that these people feel safe and welcome? 
I think the most important is to be able to empathize. So um, I've established over the years a relationship with these patients already. Mm -hmm. So they trust me and they feel comfortable talking to me. Um, So when they do give me the opportunity to listen, I really hold on to them because they're precious. Mm. When they're talking about their pains or their traumas, I listened with an active ear mm-hmm. and I reflectively uh, kind of echo what they're saying so that they can hear what they're going through. Sometimes, you know, when you verbalize something, you kind of put it out there and somebody echo that idea back to you. Then you realize, oh, is that what I was thinking about? So it's kind of an active um, feedback, echoing process that allow the patient to kind of come to an awareness or understanding of their true feelings. Mm. And of course, as they kind of disclose these stressors, it's almost like a pressure cooker. And then you kind of poke a hole through that and then I'll come all that pressure. And so they feel lightened and they feel happier. They felt understood. Mm-hmm. And many times just having that kind of a people contact or that care from another person, uh, help them to feel empowered and feel as though they can do it. Now and with, you know, war happening in Europe, you know, all of these different stressors, as you mentioned, has put a great toll on everybody's mental health, not just the population that you're serving and you're most intimate with. How do you see um, this anger and this frustration and what can we do as, you know, youth? Um, how can we help our community to promote mental health? Mm-hmm. Well, I think youth is a great force in this society that's way underutilized. Mm-hmm. So, for example, many people feel that it has to have a certificate or a degree of some sort in order mm-hmm. to care. But you can imagine someone who's hurting Anybody who's next to them with a listening ear can potentially be that primary care doctor or the first provider to listen to that hurt Mm -hmm. and be an encouragement to that person. Mm -hmm. So teens, if they're willing to reach out to people who are hurting, may it be their friends, may it be neighbor next door, Mm -hmm. or some senior homes, they will be a wonderful source of um, encouragement and also warmth to these people when they're so lonely and isolated. Mm. Yeah. For and for people who are really struggling with mental illness, mental wellness uh, during the pandemic due to you know various reasons, uh, what advice do you have for people as um, you know a medical expert and someone who has seen firsthand the effects of mental unwellness. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, I think the first step is an awareness. There's something's wrong that I need to change. So many people, when they're stressed, they just kind of stay there and just kind of carry on and kind of uh, suppress. That wouldn't be a healthy response. Mm-hmm. So if anybody, like a friend or a family, say that, oh, you should go talk to somebody, then that perhaps is good advice. Mm-hmm. Perhaps reach out to your primary care doctor. Mm-hmm. Because as you kind of um, disclose what you're experiencing, may it be insomnia or palpitation, that primary care doctor will be able to diagnose if this is something that's mentally involved, that we need to do something about that. 
And just having that conversation is kind of um, enlightening, mm-hmm. uh, that you can disclose, you can uh, open up. That is a wonderful feeling in and of itself. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, from you speaking about your patience and, you know, the work that you do, it's uh, it's no surprise that, you know, um, that many people want to go into medicine um, and become doctors like you. Um, what, for our audience, you know, what pieces of wisdom uh, can you share um, for people who might be thinking about going into this industry um, and doing the work that you do? Mm-hmm. And that's an excellent question. Um, I think the key um, component is care. Mm-hmm. You have to care about another person's well-being to be in this profession because uh, this profession carries with it a lot of responsibility and a lot of schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to carry through all the competition and all the testing and all the challenges of medical training, you know, the four years of college, the four years of medical school, and mm-hmm. at least three years of residency, yeah. you have to have a passion. And I believe that passion is about caring and serving other people in mm. need. It is so rewarding. Um, I really urge anybody who has any interest in helping other people to consider medicine as a career. Because you can imagine when somebody is sick, when they're hurting emotionally or physically, and you're able to lend a helping hand to reverse all of that, to heal, to restore, how wonderful that makes you feel and that patient feel. And the the trust, the, the, the gratefulness from another human being just rewards you so tremendously above mm-hmm. and beyond mm-hmm. the social respect, the status, or the stable income that this profession also gives you. Mm, yeah, and, you know, once again, from the pandemic, mental health has um, I'd seriously been on like a national decline. It's become a national crisis. So, um, would you say that you know, psychiatry, psychology, this this industry is becoming more and more necessary in today's society? Would you say that? Of course. Right now, we're having a hard time finding counselors, getting appointments with psychiatrists for our patients because they're all so overbooked. Mm. There is not enough psychiatrists to go around. Mm. And you can imagine, this is uh, 2022. Just give it another five years. All the trauma, the losses from the pandemic will then emerge as people start to realize that they can now finally kind of deal with it. Right now, they're still at the crux of the pandemic, the inflation, the unemployment. They really don't have a whole lot of time or opportunity to deal with their emotions. When things come back to kind of a normal state, all of these aftermath will evolve. Mm -hmm. And there is going to be greater and greater needs for people to to heal, to soothe, to help, and to care. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, yeah, you heard it here. Um, mental health and psychiatry is going to be um, all the more important in the future. Um, And so moving on to uh, today's next segment, um, as I mentioned in my brief introduction of of our lovely guests, um, she is not only a an internal doctor but she's also my mother yes and i would like to first and foremost not brag but i think emphasize our um 
our healthy relationship. I think during the pandemic, when we were all stuck at home together,、uh, while other families were fighting amongst themselves, and you know, you're having a lot of tension,、um, I felt that me, my parents, and I, we really、uh, bonded together as a family, and we struggled together. We, you know, we celebrated together,、um, and we were a family. And so, this next segment,、um, I'd also. Like I would love to t-、uh, talk about、um, your role as a mother as uh-huh. well, because uh-huh. I'm sure、um, this pandemic has misplaced、um, so、many、uh, young families,、um, families in general.、Um, parents are struggling to provide support for their children, and children are struggling.、Um, Everywhere.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, Doctor Shu, as a doctor and a mother, could you give some advice to、uh, parents on how to provide mental health support to their children? Yeah, that's a great question.、Um, I think for parents, we're learning、uh, with our children about them. Um, each stage of the child's growth is different. So, for example, if your child is a toddler. Uh, he or she may be、uh, angry that、uh, they cannot go to school; they have to stay home and learn virtually. Or if your child is a teenager, they may feel so deprived that they cannot go out with their friends, and so on and so forth. So, different stages、uh, of development in the child requires different types of response. And I would say the most important is for parents to meet their child right where they are. Mm. So, for example,、uh, if the child is lonely, so you be a companion. If the child、mm-hmm. needs to have some sort of、um, kind of teaching or di- kind of、uh, discipling or some sort of、um, setting boundaries, then you be that one to help to do that.、Mm-hmm. So, how do we know as parents where is where are our children? So, where do we meet them? I think the key is to be able to listen. Once again, it's listen, listen, listen. May it be in the office listening to patients or at home listening to my daughter Angel. It is、mm-hmm. listening to have the humility to stay quiet and be able to listen with eyes open to observe body language to see where is my child or where is my patient feeling right now and be able to respond in a positive way、um, to compliment. Uh, that is whatever is missing. Then the, I kind of supplement that,、um, and also to encourage and to build up. So for people like me,、um, what would you, how would you teach active listening to someone who、um, is more of a talker than、mm. a listener? Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed that sometimes when you listen to somebody, you can't wait to jump in to respond. May it be to、mm. fix a, a problem that that person may have,、mm-hmm. or to refute that person's point of view.、Mm-hmm. You're waiting to respond. Once that person is finished, boom, comes out your turn. Right.、Mm-hmm. Um, however, active listening is a little different. Active listening's purpose is not to respond, but to understand.、Mm. And to understand means that your response may be uh huh uh huh to encourage that person to continue、mm-hmm. or to <laughs> clarify something because you really wanted to understand. So、uh, a response may be so. Do you mean that 
In other words, when you kind of summarize or echo or reflect what that other person says, it actually helps that person to clarify his or her um, thinking. And when he or she kind of express that more clearly for the sake of the listener, that person actually clarifies that for himself or herself, which is an active process of self-discovery. Mm. So not only is it helping the listener, but it's also helping the speaker. Mm. Right. So what you're saying is, you know, active listening consists of um, trying to understand the other person, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be just kind of, you know, saying like, mm, of assent, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, recapitulating what they just said, as mm -hmm. I'm doing right now. Yes. Huh, I guess. And I would add that this would be a very wonderful social skill. So in so many situations, people feel that they have to kind of chime in to the conversation mm -hmm. in order to be part of the group, to mm -hmm. feel included. Right. But I would argue just the contrary. If you kind of look at bartenders, the popular ones are not the ones who talk a lot, but the popular bartenders are those who listen a lot because f people feel wonderful when they're understood mm -hmm. and friendship builds up and the kind of the distance between individuals are kind of uh, brought in closer as they find someone who is listening and understanding or at least making an effort to understand them. Mm -hmm. So active listening is a great tool. May it be at home, in the office, with friends, or even in social political situations. You always want to listen to the other person's point of view because this allows them a psychological space mm -hmm. to express their point of view. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful in building relationship. Yes, and especially uh, between sometimes a very tumultuous parent-child relationship, mm -hmm. um, I feel that acknowledgement is a very powerful tool, whether it be, you know, for mental health or otherwise, mm -hmm. um, acknowledging the fact that there is vulnerability, we make mistakes, we're not perfect, mm -hmm. um, and listening to the other person uh, and what their feelings are, that's always um, extremely important. Mm -hmm. So how can parents uh, make sure that their kids know they care? And so listening is certainly a part of that when you're being attentive and when you're listening carefully. Um, that's It's come across like that. Um, but how can parents further educate their children about um, the importance of keeping their minds, not only their bodies, healthy? Okay, so in other words, helping. How can parents help their children uh, to be emotionally healthy? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I think um, for for children, different stages of development requires different things to be nourished: mm -hmm. their minds and their bodies. Mm. So, for example, for a young child, that child needs to go out mm -hmm. uh, to playgrounds to socialize with other kids to try out to explore to climb to feel and things of that nature and when the child gets older then it becomes a little bit more sophisticated uh, they may enjoy reading for example reading good books is a wonderful source of nourishment to the mind because you can only experience so much in your daily activities. But by reading, mm -hmm. you're kind of extending your antenna to other lives, other countries, other circumstances. Mm -hmm. So these are all very, very healthy activities to maintain a healthy state of mind. And of course, um, be able to have a wonderful family time and relationship, a time of bonding with family or friends, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, wonderful food, entertainment, and accomplishments through activities of passion. These are wonderful things to boost up uh, a person's uh, morale or, or mental health. And the last, if not the least, the most important of all is to be of service to another person. Mm-hmm. When we help another person and see that our contribution is making a difference in another mm-hmm. person's life, mm-hmm. wow, that really boosts our own self-esteem. Yeah, Because we all want to feel useful, worthy, and when we see and receive the gratitude of another person, that makes us feel so wonderful. Mm-hmm. It is beyond what money can buy. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. So um, it's, once again, just reiterate, it's so um, important to, you know, have these relationship building activities um, to not only verbally, but physically communicate to uh, children that they are cared for, there are people around them to support them, and that it is okay to um, be unwell sometimes it's okay to be frustrated to be sad to be you know angry those are all valid emotions to have um and so along those lines um it's totally understandable for kids to be angry but parents you know when parents show vulnerability oftentimes um it's kind of a taboo subject Mm -hmm. Um, parents showing vulnerability that's kind of like a just a no-no you know Mm -hmm. like your parents look up or your your children sorry your children look up to you Mm -hmm. showing vulnerability should be the last thing you do Mm -hmm. what do you think about that well i think um uh, parents act more than what they can say so in other words children are all very smart people Mm -hmm. they don't just listen they watch and they experience and they make conclusions inside of their hearts so even if parents don't admit to their vulnerability well children know when two parents are for example arguing they don't need to tell their children um to be you know you better um behave right children behave automatically because they're afraid that if they don't then something bad will happen right so in other words Mm -hmm. um it is okay to express vulnerability to your children because after all it is not a secret it's so mm. easily observed. Yeah. And at the same time, being truthful to open up, be transparent to, to the children, allows the children to do the same to mm-hmm. the parents. Mm-hmm. Because we're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. And especially if we blow it in front of our children or blame them or judge them um, erroneously, we should apologize. Mm-hmm. Because that shows that our children are valued and that when they make a mistake, they will feel that it's okay to apologize to the other person. Mm-hmm. So it's also a wonderful role modeling. As a child, I feel that when my parents um, share their vulnerabilities or insecurities, I find that it not only reinforces the idea that my parents are not perfect, they're just like me, they're imperfect, um, it, but also, you know, it makes me personally feel more comfortable sharing my own insecurities Mm -hmm. um i think there's always this thing amongst children where you know the parents are the authority figures Mm -hmm. and therefore they must do no wrong Mm. and when they do no wrong that means you know there is no wrong in their life Mm. and their lives are you know 
you know, perfect. And、mm. they don't have the same petty struggles that I do. You know,、mm. I'm a child. They're much older than me, not much older. You're still young. <laughs> Thank you. But it seems that, you know, you guys have so much more experience. It's, you know,、um, compared to my issues, I feel like, you know, like, What are my issues、mm-hmm. compared to what you must have gone through?、Mm-hmm. Um, seeing how, you know, in the old days things were so much harder.、Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?、Mm-hmm. Sure.、Um, but yeah, so when I think parents or authority figures admit fault, when they admit insecurities and when they show off vulnerability, demonstrates、uh, great courage and also、um, gives insight、uh, for the child, you know. That you know, we're all really just imperfect, and you know, what we can do,、uh, what we should do, is to help each other in that recovery and that healing process. Sure, and by being truthful and real in front of our children, it also is、um, kind of relaxing for the parents, too.、Mm-hmm. Because you can imagine a lot of parents work very hard. Earn money thinking that、uh, by giving their educa- the best education or the best、um, school supply, the best house, the best car for the child, that、um, this is the best that the, the parent can do. In reality, for a child, the child yearns a relationship. Um, the child yearns time or quality time with their parent,、mm-hmm. or wanting to know, be reassured that they matter, that they are important in their parents' eyes.、Mm-hmm. So,、um, why not bring the child into the difficulties and the hardships that the parent is experiencing at work? Why not? So that the child and the parent could be of the same heart, that we're all trying to pull through, we're all trying to make our family a success, we're all working、mm-hmm. hard. So, that is a wonderful feeling when the, the whole family is on the same page,、mm. working as the same team. Exactly. Yeah. And so, as we kind of wrap up here,、um, I'd like to bring this conversation back to mental health.、Um, as we're recovering from the pandemic, as you know, families are slowly coming back together、uh, from kind of the brokenness during quarantine and during isolation. What are the steps that we can take to ensure that the next generation, that you know, the generation after that, how can we make sure that they're not burdened with the, the repercussions from these unprecedented times? Yeah, I think the most important that each one of us should take care of ourselves.、Mm. Um, if we feel stressed, we find ways to relieve that stress. And the method could be different for different people. Some people may find going out to the park or to the ocean to be very relaxing. Another may find shopping as therapy. Or the third person may find talking to a friend to be very therapeutic. So different people have different ways of relaxing. But overall, I think all of us can use some very fundamental techniques. The first is deep breathing. You know, have you found that when you're nervous or anxious, you start to kind of feel a little palpitation、mm-hmm. or a little uneasiness or、yeah. the neck muscles start to cramp? Yeah, that's all normal. So take a deep breath. And what I mean is slow breathing、um, through the nose like this. Hold it for a couple seconds and let it out. 
So you can do that a couple times, even throughout the hour, to、mm. keep your body and breath relaxed.、Mm-hmm. Another method that many people find useful will be keeping a diary,、mm-hmm. um, because you may not feel comfortable、um, talking your、um, private issues with another person, but writing it out. So that nobody reads it, only you know what is in, inside of the diary、mm-hmm. is actually expressive and very therapeutic and helpful.、Mm. And a week later, you can look back at kind of the、uh, the path that you've taken over the past one week to grow, to mature, to overcome, and it's empowering.、Mm-hmm. And finally, if、um, available, talking to another person、mm-hmm. will be very, very helpful、yeah. and enlightening. Yeah, great. Those are all great. Uh, incredibly helpful tips、um, for for parents for patients.、Um, it has been a true pleasure having you on the podcast today.、Um, this was Dr. Judy Shu.、Uh, she's an internal、um, an internist, a primary care physician.、Um, she's also my mother.、Um, and in today's podcast, we talked about.、Um, Kind of how physicians are becoming the new frontline for this mental health crisis.、Um, we talked about how、um, active listening and you know empathy、um, can really help with the connection with other people, with family, with friends,、uh, with complete strangers.、Um, and finally, we talked about the parent-child relationship. How. It's been a strenuous two and a half years now for both the parents and for the children.、Uh, but what are the steps that we can, you know, take to ensure that you know the future is different and the future um, includes um, mentally well children with mentally well parents?、Um, so thank you all for listening to our podcast. This was Angel, and this is Doctor Shu, and this was episode one of Mentality Podcast. Thank you for listening.